Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. Hi, everyone. My name is David Jimenez, and my new book is called Parisian by Design. Parisian by Design is about the excitement of living in Paris with weekends in the French countryside and your design life on the Ile Saint-Louis. Working and creating collections with top craftsmen, historic French companies, and decorative artists. In the first chapter, we discover your glorious apartment on the Ile Saint-Louis, which is one of the two natural islands on the Seine. Oh, my goodness, can you tell me about how you came upon this place and uh, what drew you to it? But it's pretty darn obvious. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, uh, I've got to say, I, I, uh, I lucked out. Uh, I'm, I'm actually speaking with you from the apartment uh, on East Saint Louis uh, right now. And I had decided that I wanted something that was in an area that had more charm. I'd moved to Paris and fell in love with the immediate area that I was living in previously, which was in the 8th district, the 8th arrondissement. And uh, that was really close to the Champs-Élysées. So if you can imagine, anytime I was coming home from a long trip and the taxi would take a left onto Champs-Élysées, and heading up towards the Arc Triomphe, uh, I felt like, wow, <laughs> where, where am I? Uh, I feel so honored uh, to be living here and so excited to be living here. Uh, but after being there for uh, about three years, I missed the idea uh, or this, this sort of the, the feeling of being in, an, in a neighborhood or an area of a Paris that had more to it, uh, that had uh, a, a pastry shop on the corner and a flower shop and the butcher and all of those things that that you see in many districts. But I didn't really readily find uh, in the area that I was living in before. It was elegant and sophisticated and beautiful, but didn't have that Parisian charm. And I decided that I would start a search. And uh, one of the places that I've been coming to for a long time is Ile Saint-Louis. There's, uh, there's just some magic to the island. It's, it's right in the heart of Paris and uh, has access to the Marais, which is ancient and historical and beautiful. And then also very easy access to Saint-Germain-des-Prés, uh, which is where all of the incredible shopping is. Uh, and so if you can imagine being uh, in between the Seine River on both sides, because it's an island that's connected to to the Marais and to the Saint-Germain-des-Prés by, by bridge and getting lost in the historic beauty of the island. These are all 17th century homes that have been established here. And so there is uh, the first thing you, you, you feel is just this incredible connection to the magic and the spirit of what it's historically always been. And then it's full of wonderful, wonderful restaurants and cafes. And, and I do have a butcher and I have, and I have a patisserie shop and I've made friends with uh, the florist and all of these wonderful uh, merchants that that have these great restaurants and, and locations here on the island. And then the people that live on the island, it, it, it turns the vibe into something that feels very villagey. You feel like you're connected because we're all islanders and because uh, there's just a, a an appreciation, uh, not only for the surrounding, but just sort of the livelihood uh, and the feeling of being able to give back to those merchants that are here on the, on the street. So it's been, it's been an incredible experience. 
Oh, I love that so much. I think that's why I live in the West Village in New York City. It sort of has that same feel, you know, with the bakery on the corner and everyone's so tight. And And there are lots of creative people in the West Village. What um, sorts of people are drawn to um, your island? It's interesting. There are uh, movie stars and artists. And uh, surprisingly, there's also a strong uh, influx of, of Americans that also live on the island. Occasionally, you'll hear someone speaking English uh, during the wintertime because you know, during the summertime, uh, we happen to be the destination in Paris for the most unbelievable ice cream. The name of the company is called Bertillon. And it's uh, started probably 100 years ago uh, right here on one of our corners. And, and by the way, the island is only equivalent to maybe three blocks, two blocks uh, wide. So it's really quite small. But there are now, I think there's maybe eight different locations on the island where you can get this ice cream. And so it, the word is out. And during the summer, there's lots of tourists and, and a, a huge influx of people that come primarily for the ice cream, but also for the beauty of the of the space. But uh, the occasional American <laughs> during winter is always a surprise. And so it's fun. It's fun to know that there's uh, fellow Americans on the island. Um, but what's interesting is what drew me to the apartment. The first time I walked in, I was blown away. The apartment is quite small. It's, it's, a, it's a classical pied-à-terre in Paris. Hardwood, Versailles parquet floors, which are original to the building. Uh, and so they're, 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 they're ancient and, and have this great patina after all the years. Uh, there's a, a fireplace. And what makes it unique is that there's these uh, soaring ceiling heights. So there might be 15 feet tall with beautiful decorative molding. So there's something very stately and beautiful. There's also two huge windows that face directly onto the main street on East Saint Louis where, where all of the uh, energy uh, happens. And so I stepped two feet into the apartment and thought, wow, uh, this is heaven. <laughs> it's so it's so perfect. It was significantly smaller than what I had in the eighth. Uh, but what it lacked in size, it made up in heart. Uh, and the fact that I could walk outside and, and spill onto the street with all of these great merchants and now friends that I've made uh, on the island, I, I thought, sign me up. So tell me about your commute to the office. That's a great, a great story. <laughs> uh, I During uh, lockdown, and so that was, uh, you know, a challenging time for the world, a very difficult uh, uh, time for the world. I had to rethink how I would go about doing what I do. And so at the time, I was working very closely uh, on a very large project in, in New York City. And I found that I just needed space. I needed more space to be able to spread out. I had a lot of samples uh, that I was receiving and I needed more room. When you're working in uh, tight space over the course of the day, it makes it hard to feel like you can sort of get away from your, your living space to have uh, a really devoted or dedicated creative space. And so I had a conversation with the building owner to find out whether or not there might be any opportunity of, of acquiring a space that was directly across my hallway. And so it's located on the same level, same landing as my apartment. And it turns out that at one time in the history of the building, each one of the levels of the building was in fact one single family home. And so my apartment at one time was connected to that apartment. And so what's interesting about that is that when I walked in, it had the exact same soaring ceiling heights and all of the same uh, decorative molding detail, some changes that have been made over the years. But in general, the bones were the same. And so it felt uh, in a lot of ways like working, 
you know, in working in a suite, suddenly I, I had my living space and in the morning I can get up early with a cup of coffee and, uh, and, and walk, you know, walk basically three feet uh, across the hallway to my working space and studio. And it's become, uh, it's just become a ton of fun. It's been fun because I've got more room, obviously, but it's also more space to dream. I can spread out. I can buy samples and bring them in and set them up. I can have newly upholstered pieces uh, be brought in without being worried about uh, running out of room or having to live with them until installation. And so it's been a, it's been a really, really great uh, working space on a lot of levels. So what's the origin of your love of French design? So that's a good question. I think it started because it was so different from what I grew up with uh, and being surrounded by in the Bronx, actually. Uh, I grew up in a very loving home uh, with incredible uh, parents and uh, and a brother that I, I love very much. Uh, but our, our environment was uh, very simple. Uh, and my parents gave us everything that, that, that we wanted uh, and did it through the very best possible filter that they could uh and so i remember i had very fond feelings i remember uh, memories of of growing up and and uh uh, moving all of the furniture around in the living room when i was about seven or eight years old and and being encouraged by my mother uh and so it became almost like a weekly occurrence for me and, and i enjoyed it i think as much as she did but it was a very different different way to grow up uh and once i started traveling in my teens uh and then later on in my 20s and I had the opportunity to visit Europe and then eventually visit uh, uh, France and Paris for my first time. Something resonated in my heart in such a profound level, a profound way. I was really touched. I was really touched. I was touched by, by the totality of it. I was touched by, by the lyrical nature of, of the, uh, the music that is the language. Um, and in fact, it became very difficult for me uh, later on when I, I decided that I would move to France and learn to speak because it was it was so easy to get lost in the melody of of, of the teachers who were teaching me uh, and not focus on on, uh, on 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 the actual learning part because it was just so beautiful to me the the harmony of the of the language the, the the lyrical nature of the language is so beautiful and then there was the aesthetic of the buildings and and uh, the incredible uh, boutiques and the shopping and everywhere I went, uh, there was magic. Everywhere I went, there was beauty. And I, I found that it just started to affect what I did and how I wanted to to live and the things that I wanted to be surrounded by. I started buying antiques. I enjoyed antiques that had a French aesthetic or a very European spirit. Um, I looked at some of the uh, talented, many talented uh, uh, interior designers from the past as references for for what they did and what made their work unique and identifiable and spirited. And then and then found within that things that resonated with with me and, and that I would take inspiration from and, and incorporate. And then eventually all of that, I think all of those things, it's funny, it's hard to pinpoint any one thing, but you know, I think you carry all of those life experiences with you and they're reference points that you have in your mind's eye and, and that and that you somehow remember or are triggered as you're setting up a room or as you're making a purchase or as you see things out uh, in 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 markets that you're considering. They're sort of things that ring a bell or that strike you as being familiar. And they're familiar because these are things that you noted along the way that touched you uh, and the reference points that I think help inform uh, the spaces uh, that I that I enjoy enjoy creating and I enjoy putting together today. 
I read a quote where you said to me, that's what makes a room feel interesting. Things are all connected. And I think you just talked about it a little bit. Um, That quote is true of your overall interior design aesthetic. Every single one of your projects is very consistent and very you. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. I like spaces that are really warm and uh, comfortable and I also like the idea of spaces that feel a personal. Usually what that implies is uh, how things get placed in the room, right? And so um, you'll you'll find things that are layered. Uh, a lot of the artwork uh, oftentimes doesn't make it actually onto the wall in the way that it might be hanging on the wall. It might actually just be tucked onto a chair or uh, tucked behind a piece of artwork on a mantle or a console in front of a mirror. And I think those are touches that create some consistency in uh, the design projects that I that I uh, enjoy working on, whether they're personal or for clients. I also like warm color palettes, generally uh, neutral color palettes. Personally, you know, I, I, I have uh, a lot happening in the course of the day, as as we as we all do, you know, and and, and I work in uh, environments that can be very pressing and sometimes high energy and and so and and there's something about coming home and being around a space that feels calm and being around a space that feels nurturing and that from the moment you open the door you turn the key and open the door you feel like this is your respite you know this is this is a place of of ease and what I find is that uh, neutral colors have a tendency to do that uh, readily. And and then what I like to do is incorporate some pops of color in what I do. So whether that's a uh, strong turquoise color or a vibrant uh, jewel tone green uh, or a bold red or even yellow, it, it might be influenced by a, a painting or uh, an accessory. But I, I do like the idea of being able to accent uh, rooms as well with some color because I think it just adds some energy. Uh, but I think what makes my rooms identifiably my own is uh, generally that they they have a, a sense of ease and hopefully elegance as well. You know, I don't I don't think I set out uh, to make a room look elegant per se, but I think uh, with the pieces that I acquire that I, I love, you know, and some of them are more casual or contemporary in nature and and clean line, and then there's other pieces that are more. Uh, refined and have beautiful detailing on on the arms or the legs and, and might be uh, European or French French inspired pieces. I think all of that helps uh, create a mix that feels fresh and feels uh, exciting in a room. I love that your Instagram page says dreamer, designer, curator. I have a short timeline of your life slash career. So you were born and raised in the Bronx. You got a job at the Gap here in the city. Um, And then six short years later, you became the chain's visual merchandising manager. They moved you to San Francisco. Then you helped a friend redecorate their home, which caught the eye of an executive at Pottery Barn who gave you a position there. Then you went to Restoration Hardware. And lo and behold, your next move was not to Paris. It was to my hometown, Kansas City. You lived in two of my all-time favorite places in Kansas City, Hyde Park, which is a neighborhood, and the glorious Sophian Plaza, a building. Both homes are included in the book. Can you talk a little bit about your homes and your time in Kansas City? Kansas City was a surprise, and I look back on my time there now, and I feel so incredibly blessed. 
and uh, grateful that I had the opportunity to make that move. If anyone had told me previously, prior to moving to Kansas City, that I'd be living there, I would have thought uh, there's no way because it just wasn't in the cards. It certainly didn't seem uh, an obvious destination for me. Uh, but I had this opportunity develop at a time when I was least expecting it. And I said yes. Uh, arriving in Kansas City was bar none overwhelming and daunting because I arrived knowing no one other than uh, the people that I would be working with. And I could not have been more graciously received. I remember the day, okay, so this is a kind of a big deal, right? Move-in day. I was moving into this beautiful home in an area, in a part of the city called Hyde Park. For those of you that don't know uh, Kansas City, uh, it's it's a, a spectacular part of the city. It's minutes away from downtown. And what makes it unique is that it's full of these gorgeous historical homes. And each home has a very unique aesthetic, but they're all beautiful and ancient. And I happened to to purchase this home built by the architect Kelby Surface. And he built it for himself and for his mom in the 1900s and spared no expense in putting this place together. It, it had gorgeous dental molding and these Doric columns and gorgeous hardwood floors throughout and a portico. And it sat on a piece of property that was uh, uh, like three lots in size. So really large, very, very handsome home and estate. And frankly, unlike anything I would have ever imagined that in my lifetime I, I could own because uh, it was so grand and so special. And I remember I arrived with many trucks of furniture. And when the last truck pulled away, about 30 minutes later, my, my doorbell rang. Uh, I opened the door and there was this incredibly kind and very sweet neighbor with a plate of cookies who said, uh, uh, you don't know me, but I, I, we know you. We heard uh, you, you've just uh, uh, arrived from New York City and from San Francisco, and uh, we're so happy to welcome you to the neighborhood. And she handed me the plate of cookies, which was so incredibly sweet. But it didn't stop there because for the next couple of hours, every so often I would get a ring at the doorbell. And I was completely overwhelmed by the generosity and the warmth of my neighbors. But that was just the beginning because uh, it turns out that everyone uh, that I had the pleasure of meeting while I was in Kansas City was like that. Um, there is uh, an incredible openness. Uh, and unlike the coasts, which there's nothing wrong with the coast, right? So I grew up in New York and lived in San Francisco. You know, you tend to be a little bit more guarded uh, and uh a little and, and, and reserve some distance uh i think and in the midwest it's not like that at all i think there's just a real ease and and just desire to connect them in, on, in, a, in an authentic way in a very sort of quick and fast way and so i love it and i have friends there that i uh, still have today friends for life plus i also want to mention this uh because many people may not know this but uh, kansas city also happens to be uh and susie you can speak to this as well a, a hub for culture uh, it's incredible uh, yeah. the appreciation for the arts and what exists there. You know, the opera, the symphony, the ballet, it's spectacular. And I don't think I've ever worn a tux <laughs> more often than I have <laughs> for black tie events uh, than in Kansas City, because uh, there's such a sense of community, but also of celebration and uh, some wonderful uh, not only dinner parties and galas, but really incredible fundraisers. So, uh, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing time. Well, what I don't think people realize is there's a lot of money in Kansas City. So <laughs> they really support the arts. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there's a there's a real uh, in, intent on, on the arts and 
Uh, I had to mention the museums as well. You know, the museums are incredible. Uh, anyway, I, I can go on and on. It's uh, it, it's just a, it's a great it's a great city. Oh, gosh, I could go on and on, too. I miss it so much, but I love New York City. But so the Sophian Plaza was right across from the Nelson Atkins Museum, wasn't it? It, it was. And so after living in this incredible home in Hyde Park for several years, I decided that that I, I it was a, a, a lot of space and I wanted to downsize. And I decided that I would move to the plaza, which is an area of the city that's um, closer to a shopping, really beautiful shopping district and uh, was directly in front of this uh, gorgeous park. Uh, and so my view at the Sophian was into the canopy of trees. Basically, uh, I was on the third third floor into this gorgeous canopy of trees and walking distance to the museum literally across the street from me. And one of the things that I loved about that particular apartment is that it felt like being in a Fifth Avenue apartment. If, 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 if that at all resonates, it, 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 there was something about the scale, the size and the ease of being there. You walked into this small little entry that then unfolded into a larger entry that then took you directly into this beautiful uh uh, oversized uh, living room that then had easy access to a sitting room that turned into uh, a secondary space that had a fireplace that was on the left side. And on the right side, it transitioned into a dining room that then led you to the kitchen. And so it was the most symmetrical and symmetrically perfect environment for entertaining. One thing I really love about this book is you take snapshots, so to speak, of particular parts of a room or detail, and you tell us where you sourced each item. I think that's such a generous gesture as an author. Lots of times I flip through design books and I wonder where they sourced that lamp or sofa. I love this. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I will give all of that credit to Diane Doran Sachs. Um, so let me just give you a little bit of a quick background on on how this evolved. You know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Diane at at a party uh, held here in Paris by Timothy Corrigan, uh, the very talented Timothy Corrigan. And uh, it was at the American Ambassador's apartment here in France. And it was a launch that Timothy Corrigan was having having for a new line of fabric at Perennials. In the course of the evening, Timothy introduced me to Diane. I'd never met her before, but I had many of her books, uh, one of which had touched me profoundly, and it was called San Francisco Interiors. And what made that book impressive to me was, uh, first of all, the beauty of all of the projects that she featured, but being able to get lost in her words. What an incredible, incredible uh, author. And, and she is passionate about design, has an incredible uh, design background and can articulate the nuance of things with such beauty and precision. And so from the onset of the book, uh, so, so, so we met, uh, we had a really great instant connection. We didn't leave each other's side after having met that entire evening, uh, stayed in touch. And later on, uh, she proposed uh, the idea of developing a book. And uh, if you can imagine, you know, I feel incredibly honored to not only be able to have my, my first book uh, with Rizzoli, who also said yes, uh, very, very quickly in the process, but to be able to do it with someone like like Diane. And so Diane, from the very onset, she was clear about uh, certain things that we would do to ensure the success of the book, but that she also does 
out of the thoughtfulness for the reader. And she had mentioned that in all of her books, she puts a lot of time and consideration into ensuring that there's clarity and context for each one of the images and that we would walk through each of the chapters as if it were a personally guided tour by me taking you through the spaces. And so she brings that to life beautifully uh, through her words. And we, I've got to say, obsessed over the captions <clears throat> where it was possible, you know, we, we would credit the person where I purchased the piece or the, the gallery to ensure that, you know, as you're reading the book, you, 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 you know where these pieces came from. But also, and maybe more importantly, if you, if you want something similar, you know where to go. Um, and so that, that was a, a really fun part of putting the book together. Yes, you also opened up your notebooks to not only reveal where you purchase authentic French paints, you also guide us where to look for color inspiration, how to find treasures at the Paris flea markets, how to create a French tabletop, floral tips, and an enormous French source list. I mean, Wow. The source list was was Diane's idea and uh, and she contributed to it as well. Uh, and the source list is not limited to to uh, France alone. There's actually um, sources all, all over the U.S. and uh, all over Europe. And, and really, the sources were entirely based on what were some of the insider locations that I've had the pleasure of being able to either purchase beautiful pieces at or galleries that have gone for inspiration or museums that that have also been incredibly inspiring. And then who are the artisans that have assisted in bringing these bespoke pieces to life and where are they located? And so it's a robust source, 10 pages total, a whole source book section, basically. And uh, we put a lot of energy and time into editing it and and ensuring that it was not only accurate, but also really representative and indicative of, of, of the richness that you see represented within the book. I really, really, really opened uh, my, my Rolodex and, and went through and, and said, okay, let, let's, let's put it all out there. And then uh, uh, the piece on, on chic paint colors, that was a ton of fun to write. Diane had, had said, listen, I, th I think it would be great to talk about paint colors. She said, it's obviously something that you do often in your projects. And there's, uh, there's these, these colors that are very specific that you use in your projects. Can you tell me more about that? And can you, can you share that with the reader? And in fact, can you go in a little deeper to share more about what influenced you and touched you uh, related to color in, in general in France and how you uh, and how you go about color? And so, you know, color can either be really simple or really complicated. And for most people, I think it's very complicated. You know, there's so many shades of a color and it's so nuanced. And then uh, there's so many incredible places and sources to purchase color. It can be daunting. And so one of the things that I do in that piece, which is a lot of uh, a lot of fun to to write and to put together was to give you a, a really good sense for uh, where the color inspiration came from and, and some really terrific places in France that inspired a lot of the color choices. And then I put together a very detailed list uh, that includes not only specific colors by vendor or by paint manufacturer, but then also where to get them. So if you are embarking on a new project and need some inspiration for colors, uh, it's, it's a really, really, really terrific resource. And then there were things that we put in the book that were about fun. So, you know, the pleasure of, of styling flowers. Uh, Diane had a wonderful interview uh, with uh, Madame Vichen, who is responsible for all of the flowers and the beautiful floral creations at the Ritz. And then uh, styling 
which is something that I'm really passionate about uh, and have worked extensively with a really wonderful French stylist. Her name is Naomi Barret. She's also in the book giving a couple of her tips. And so there's a real sense of collaboration and uh, a real joy, you know, in, 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 in I think every one of those pieces that, that become the totality of the book. Oh, and there's another really fun piece, another great piece on shopping the flea market. So if you've ever been a little intimidated about going to a Paris flea market, uh, I've got information on some basic ways to go about it uh, so that you don't feel uncomfortable approaching a vendor uh, and know what to say and how to say it. Uh, because so much of it uh, in France is really about that initial engagement, right? Um, and so there's lots of information on, on, on shopping the uh Paris flea markets in the book as well. But then the, the features uh, on all of the artisans and the spotlight that we put on these credible talents that I've had the pleasure of being able to work with in the past and develop products with, to be able to share that with you and, and share the context of that through their beautiful ateliers or spaces or boutiques or shops or galleries really adds a whole dimension to the book beyond beautiful interior photography or, or interior projects. You've said, in the way they dress or decorate their homes, the French have an innate ability to create an intoxicating mix of finesse and quiet swank. When I read that quote, I immediately thought of your gloriously tiny working kitchen. I'm mildly obsessed with it. Could you please describe it? <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, the French, I've got to say, I, I've got so much respect for how the French have this innate ability to make it look effortless, make all of it look effortless. The way that they, they, they dress, uh, the way that they entertain, the beauty in how they assemble their spaces and their homes, and yet they're always so incredibly comfortable and warm. But there's this underlying chic. And so it's been incredibly... Uh, uh, rewarding for me to you know make friends along the way here in in paris but that tiny little kitchen is is a kitchen here in the east saint louis apartment in fact, one of the things that i found historically happens in french apartments and this may not be for all french apartments but certainly i would say the majority of them they tend to have really large living spaces decent size uh, uh bedroom spaces and then notoriously very small kitchens and usually the kitchens tend to be very uh narrow sort of galley style kitchens. And from the onset, I did what I love doing, which is that I like easy access storage. And I also think there's a great charm and, and beauty that comes in showing the things that you have. And so in most of my kitchen projects, I tend to uh, either design them without cabinetry, <clears throat> doors specifically, I mean, or um, or if there were doors, uh, I remove them uh, and then you update the the shelving or the the body of the cabinetry to make sure that it's in good shape. But but I, I usually have all of my dinnerware and glassware exposed, uh, partly because I like how it looks. It's also uh, a very uh, efficient way to entertain. You know, if you need a platter, you know exactly where it is because you can you can find it easily. And then I wanted to, uh, in the interest of of keeping things accessible and easy, easy to use. Uh, I thought it would be really great to have a brass bar that had all of my copper pots hanging on it. And what I love about that is, uh, you know, anytime you put copper pots on a bar or you put them out on display, it's like jewelry. And so in this very, very small space to have the luxury of being able to have all of those copper pots out gleaming 
and at the ready for uh, any any dish that I might be preparing, just elevated that small space and made it uh, somehow cozy because, the, you know, the pots sort of layer over each other, but also just added a little polish and shine that makes it, uh, I think, a little sophisticated and, and fun. So I know you fell in love with the Dove Gray on your first visit to the original Christian Dior store in Paris. Was that the color inspiration for your kitchen? Yeah, that that visit to the Christian Dior store was uh, really um, meaningful. <laughs> it touched me in a lot of ways. Uh, the original store uh, was like, uh, in many ways, like walking into uh, a parlor. Uh, it, it just had this very French uh, and very opulent aesthetic. And it had lots of smaller rooms, which is ultimately the reason why I think they went through the the significant remodel that they've done. And and in fact, the the, the space today, the, the store on Avenue Montaigne is is dazzling uh, because it's such an ode to the brand. I think there was something really magical about the fact that Monsieur Dior had assembled that space himself. And so I, I the romantic that I am, I think it really it really touched me. And there was this shade of gray, Dior gray uh, throughout the boutique also on the exterior of the boutique and you know it's a color that you look at and you go wow it's this really classical dove gray not too dark not too light it doesn't shift sometimes gray can shift a little warm and get yellow or a little blue and this particular gray was uh, really dazzling and in my mind suddenly became uh, so associated with 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 france and and with paris and uh, so i i've used it uh, quite often in projects and every time i do I, you know i love it so much and i enjoy using different shades of gray, but it has been a big influence in, in many of my projects from Kansas City to uh, to San Francisco and, and, and even here in Paris. Where can we find you on the web and social media? So on the web, uh, you can find me at uh, David Jimenez Studio. On my Instagram, uh, it's also the same. It's, it's at David Jimenez Studio. So I, I try to make it pretty easy. This book is the blueprint that gives us all the ability to draw in inspiration from Parisian design to incorporate in our homes, no matter where we live. Thank you so much, David, for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Susie, thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to share this time with you. Thank you. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book.